Um, it's good to be here this morning. And if you're regular at Cheney Faith, you're probably also used to seeing me behind a keyboard or a guitar. Um, and I'm probably a little bit more comfortable behind a keyboard, but I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share this morning while Pastor Mark and Pastor Kate are gone on vacation. And um, we're, we're gonna be, we've been speaking through the life of Joseph. And like Troy said this morning already, we're talking about this topic of forgiveness. And when we were figuring out who was going to speak on which topics, I had made the comment about Joseph's radical forgiveness of his brothers, how that has always stood out to me as so significant, how he can get to the end of his life and forgive his brothers. And so that's what I get to share about this morning. They said, great, you can speak about that. So as we've been looking through the life of Joseph, we're talking about the ups and downs of trusting God, right? And we've seen um, a lot of the down seasons in Joseph's life. It seems to, we've kind of been hitting some of those. And we're Joseph maybe kind of gets stuck. And for each time that Joseph has been stuck somewhere, I think he's had a lot of time to sit and think about and do the hard work of of forgiveness in his life along the way. And we'll see that illustrated as we read today. So I know for me personally, it can be hard to not hold on to grudges, no matter how small or big. Like I still have certain places I'll drive through or events that I'll go to and Um, I'm just like, oh, remember that time this person, fill in the blank, whatever it was, however seemingly minor or maybe, maybe something more big. But, and there's also some people I find harder to forgive than others. Sometimes the ones closest to us, because there's, there were around them a lot more, right? When we live day in and day out with the same people, it can be hard to choose forgiveness instead of keeping score. (laughs) But maybe I'm the only one that, you know, can struggle with those things at times. I'm just just burying my soul up here. Or maybe you can relate this morning, but you don't have to raise your hand. Don't You don't have to shoot your hand up. Um, but as soon as I even mentioned the topic of forgiveness, there might have been like a person or a situation that kind of just like popped into your head. <laughs> maybe. <clears throat> or maybe you find yourself someone that's like, you just easily become bitter when things don't go as planned. <clears throat> I know for me, I'm a planner. And so that's a hard one for me. <laughs> and I would, I would imagine Joseph's journey is not really the way he planned his life going. So what are we supposed to do with that? How do we trust God when it's hard to forgive? And that's what we get to talk about this morning. So we're going to take a look at Joseph's life to see what that looked like for him. Um, before we dive into scripture, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to gather and and to hear from you. I pray that it would be your words from your spirit and not not my words this morning. You know where each one of us are at and what what we need to hear to be challenged with and encouraged with as we walk away this morning. And we do thank you for the, the richness of forgiveness that we do see modeled in you, Jesus, and pray that you would illuminate that as we read your word this morning. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a, qu- a quick overview of Joseph's life up until Genesis 44, where that's what we'll pick up and actually read um, if you want to start turning there in Genesis. But way back from the beginning, I'll try and do a, he's got a long life, but we'll try and do the quick recap. All right? Joseph had his dreams. He was like, this is super cool. Told his brothers. His brothers are like, that's not super cool. And his, his dad sent him out to go check on him in the field. And they're like, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Wait, no, let's throw him in a pit. Wait, we can get money if we sell him into slavery. So he gets sold into slavery. 
And then he's bought by Potiphar. And as we've talked about, he is then wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, gets sent to prison. And we know that God's with him. He kind of rises to leadership even in the prison because by the time the cupbearer and the baker get, get thrown into prison, he's like over them, kind of in charge of them. And they end up having dreams and Joseph is able to interpret them with God's help, of course. Um, and he's like, great, this cupbearer is going to get restored to Pharaoh's house. Remember me when you go. And then the cupbearer forgets, of course. Until a few years later when Pharaoh has a dream and he's like, oh, right, there was this guy who like interpreted dreams. So he remembers, they, they pulled Joseph out of prison. And while giving credit to God, Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he actually also shared a plan. This is going to be a severe famine coming up. And actually, here's what we should do. You should store all of the food and then distribute it those other seven years. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, let's hire, let's hire this guy. He puts him in command. He's only second in command to Pharaoh. So Joseph is, at this point, overseeing almost everything in Egypt. So then the famine does indeed hit. And his family, Joseph's family, is in the nation where they don't have food, and they need food. I think it says in Scripture at that point, um, he's like, I heard, Jacob says, I heard there's food in Egypt. Like, what are you guys doing standing around? Go get some food. So he sends off um, 10 of the brothers. He leaves Benjamin back, his 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 um, youngest son, that his, I was going to say his prized possession, but that sounds weird. <laughs> the son he was closest to is very, very close to, did not want to lose Benjamin. So he sends the other brothers, and so they come to Joseph, and of course, Joseph realizes who they are, recognizes them, but he doesn't reveal who he is, so they don't know. They're talking to their brother. Um, but he does ask them questions, right? Is your father still living? Do you have a younger brother? And they're probably like, why is this guy asking all these questions? But he sends them back um, and says, next time you come for food, bring that youngest brother of yours back with you. And I, after I read through it a bunch of times, I was like, oh, I guess I didn't even realize he had also holds Simeon. He holds one of their brothers back as a slave, kind of like, okay, I'm holding this brother and you better bring back Benjamin when you come back again. So then they come back the second time with Benjamin. And we see at the close of chapter 30, it says Joseph was deeply moved at the sight of his brother. He hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And after he washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. <laughs> so he's still trying to hold himself together, not revealing who he is. Um, but it's obviously really emotional about seeing his brother, who he was closest to. So after, it's kind of this mysterious way he does it, right? He gives him the food, but he actually takes his personal silver cup and he puts it in Benjamin's sack. And... Well, he tells the steward of his house to do that. And then after his brothers leave with their food, he sends the steward after them. And now the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. Um, so the deal was that, that Joseph had said, like, okay, you found the, we found the sack in there, then, then Benjamin can stay and be my slave. Um, and some scholars think this might have been kind of a sort of test, perhaps for the brothers to see how, how would they respond? Are they going to be just as quick to say, Oh, sure, here's Benjamin. We'll, we'll sell him into slavery too. Um, or maybe, maybe their hearts have changed. So Judah, one of the brothers, um, then gives the longest speech actually recorded in all of the book of Genesis about why they could never return to their father without Benjamin. We are not leaving him here. So we're going to pick up there towards the end 
in chapter 44, verse 27. I think we should have it on this slide. So this is Judah talking to Joseph. Um, it says, your, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. By the way, they don't know it's Joseph yet. Just a reminder. <laughs> I don't have that crucial information yet. He said, one of them went away from me, and I said, he's surely been torn to pieces. So he's, he's talking about Joseph here, because if you may remember, the brothers took his coat of many colors and put animal blood on it. They lied to their dad, so their dad thinks he's, he's dead. And I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, Benjamin, and harm comes to him, you'll bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now Judah's pleading. So now if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant, Judah, remain here as my Lord's save in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So we seem to be seeing a change of heart from Judah, whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place, actually. And I... I think it's probably some combination of Joseph reliving this whole story as Judah's recounting it and hearing about his father and seeing Benjamin, his brother he's closest to, and, and realizing his brothers really do seem to care about their brother <clears throat> made Joseph extremely emotional. And if, you'll, if you've followed along with the reading plan, reading through your story, you see Joseph is an emotional guy. He weeps <laughs> a lot of times in scripture. But let's see how he responds to these brothers that betrayed him so many years ago. They were the reason that he spent time as a slave and was wrongfully thrown in prison. And even though they were so upset about his dream in the first place, they've already fulfilled that dream multiple times in coming to Joseph, asking for food and bowing down before him, right? <clears throat> so let's see how Joseph responds in Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. Says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. No joke. They sure had reason to be, right? I think that was an appropriate response. Like, oh, shoot. This is like literally our brother Joseph. Remember what we did to that guy? Yeah. Then Joseph says to his brothers, get out of my presence for everything you've done to me. No, surprisingly, that is not what Joseph says. Instead, we read, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. What an invitation. Come close to me. When they had done so, repeating himself, because they're probably still somewhat in shock. I'm Joseph, your brother that you sold into slavery. That's me. Um, I'm in Egypt. Now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. 
I mean, I'm sure that's probably totally how I would have responded after my brothers tried to ruin my life. Yeah, um, maybe not. I actually do have two brothers, and it can be hard to forgive the small things, let alone everything that Joseph is forgiving in these statements he's making. Like, what a gracious attitude. Forgiveness in every aspect of the word, right? And I think this passage is the first place that we really get to see Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers in action, kind of lived out. Because Joseph is actually the one reassuring him, don't worry, don't be angry with yourselves. Like, when most of us would think, he literally does have every reason to be angry with them, right? He, he missed out on so much with his family. He was so close to his dad and his younger brother, Benjamin, who was, I'm sure, really young when he was sold into slavery and now has grown up all these years. And not to mention, you know, that he was sold into slavery and then probably worked as a slave maybe for the first time in his life. I mean, he was the brother that had the special coat. And when he first went out to his brothers in the field, they were the ones working in the field. And Joseph just had to go check on them. So he probably got a, a quick dose of a good, good work day once he was sold into slavery, right? And then thrown into prison. Just all of, all of these reasons Joseph could be upset with them. But I love this picture of reconciliation we see, especially in verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 45. It says, Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. So here we see not only a verbal, but a physical representation of his forgiveness toward them. And their relationship looks like it's being restored, right? <clears throat> so then the story continues as the brothers, he's still sending them back to their father, right? He, it comes out like, okay, I am Joseph, but he, they still have to bring their food back to their dad, right? Who's back there starving. So they, they return to their father and they're invited. The whole family ends up moving to Egypt with Joseph. And then eventually the time does come where their dad dies. And now we see another layer that gets pulled back. Now that dad is gone. So if we pick up in Genesis 50, verses 15 and on, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, uh, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Uh, so they sent word to Joseph. I love they send word. They're like, we're not going to go in prison. We're not risking that. We're sending word to Joseph. Um, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please, this, and then there's their message. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Again, fulfilling his dream he had at the very beginning of all this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph's response actually shows us his attitude towards God. Because like Pastor Mark talked about a couple weeks ago, Joseph realized that in every season, in every situation, God is in control. And this means that he can use all of our difficult situations for our good and for his glory if, if we will trust him. We see this truth in Romans 8.28. Right? It says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We see that truth in Scripture 
Joseph knew this before it was even written down in scripture. He didn't have the New Testament, right? He's living the Old Testament right now. Thankfully, we have this truth and promise that we can, that we can hold on to. But this doesn't make, mean that God makes those things happen. It means he can use them and he can redeem them. Because God is sovereign and only he's in the place of God. Joseph said that rhetorically, right? He's not in the place of God. Joseph is not. Instead, Joseph knows he can trust that it's God that's in control, and he chooses to extend forgiveness to his brothers. And and we find out in this passage that it was actually real, true, genuine forgiveness. Joseph wasn't just acting like they were all fine until dad was gone, and then they had it coming for them, right? That's what the brothers were afraid of, though, right? They actually said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back of all of the wrongs that we've done? I mean, they realized what what they had done. And I think this actually highlights the fact that it would be pretty appropriate for Joseph to unleash revenge on them. He's second in command only to Pharaoh. He has the power to make all of them his slaves and many other things, I'm sure, that were, were within his power. And that's really what the brothers were bracing for, right? They're bowing down before him every time they see him. They realize you you could, with the snap of your fingers, do whatever you want. But even, even today, it would be culturally appropriate, I think. It is to live in bitterness towards people who've offended you, right? Those people offended you, yeah. You can hold grudges when you haven't gotten your way, totally. Like, that is completely appropriate. And that's what makes forgiveness so radical. Joseph chose the different path. He chose forgiveness of everything that they had done. He chose to trust that God was in control and to not stay stuck in bitterness from really what had happened in the past. He didn't stay stuck there. And as a result, his relationship with his brothers was restored. And what we can learn from this is forgiveness is possible when we trust that God is in control. When we, when we know and we trust that God's in control, we know we can just hand over any situation, no matter how big or how small, where we're struggling to forgive, and we can hand it over to God. He is sovereign, and Joseph recognizes that. We see in, um, in those verses 5 and 8, he said, it was, it was because of God was saving lives he sent me ahead of you. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He trusted that God was in control so he could forgive his brothers. But also, Joseph had a lot of time to think through how he got where he was, why his life was on the trajectory it was. Um, What we see is that eventually he landed on forgiveness somewhere over here by the time his brothers were, were coming and visiting him the second time. I'm sure it was a process, right? Um, We don't know his inner thoughts and his struggles all throughout those ups and downs of trusting God through his whole life. Um, I doubt it was a quick and easy decision. And you probably know that if you've ever had to go through a really hard situation to forgive someone. It was more likely a lot of honest conversations with God and a lot of wrestling and coming to terms with his circumstances before he could fully trust in God's sovereignty and control over the situation and let go of his, our natural response and probably his natural response to hold on to that bitterness. 
And from that deep trust can come forgiveness toward those who first put him in that situation, his brothers, and even maybe Potiphar's wife and the cupbearer who forgot about him and others along the way, I'm sure. But forgiveness is possible when we trust that God is in control. And I would also say that it might feel easier to forgive when you know that there, or you see at the end, maybe there's a plan all along. Like Joseph was saving the nation from famine. Like, okay, I'll give him that. He can see in the end, it kind of works out for him, like kind of a lot. And (laughs) he did have to go through a lot to get there, but God had his ultimate plan. He's second in command to Pharaoh, saving the nation. But not all situations that require forgiveness we're part of God's original best plan. Like you might be living in a situation, you're like, this, this isn't like, I don't think God is doing this to me to make something better happen in the future. Because even though God is still in control, unfortunately we live in a world where there's a lot of hurt. Because we make foolish decisions at times and accidentally hurt people. And some people also intentionally hurt other people. Because that is the brokenness of humanity that we live amongst. So when it's hard to forgive, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) It's a great question. Um, Maybe someone has really hurt you or really wronged you in a way that's affected your life pretty deeply. And I think this morning God just wants wants to gently invite you to offer the situation up to him. And to start the process of the letting go of bitterness and choosing forgiveness, because it is a process. That's why I say start that process of letting go and choosing forgiveness, and and daily and hourly choosing forgiveness. Not so you can excuse anyone else's behavior, because that is not what forgiveness is. That's not at all. Jesus was not excusing our behavior when he died for us on the cross. He was simply offering forgiveness. But so you can actually let go of the anger and the tension and the bitterness that we carry when it comes to holding on to those past hurts, right? When those things boil up again and you can just like feel it in your body, you know, like you're in a, like I said, if you're driving through a familiar place or an event where something happened and all of a sudden, you know, you can just feel it in your body to choose to to let go of that and, and give it to God and choose forgiveness again. And I want to revisit this in a few minutes, but I first wanted to share a friend's story on video. Um, Because as I was preparing to talk about forgiveness, my friend Kathy came to mind. It seems like I've passed through a lot of seasons in life lately. And her story Um, is pretty unbelievable. A pretty bizarre situation that required her to choose forgiveness in order to move forward with her life. um, And not get stuck into what I'm sure could really easily turn in just getting stuck in depression. And to set the video up a bit, um, she had agreed to help manage the estate and affairs of a family member that she didn't know very well. She put in a lot of hard work, 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 and then ended up being wrongfully charged with elder abuse. Um, I know I was talking to her about sharing this story this week. She said that that would would be fine. She would love to share her story. So we have this video here that we're going to watch. And I just wanted to say, see if you notice what her prayer was on her way into prison. It seems like I've passed through a lot of seasons in life lately. Um, Going from growing up in church, feeling the call of God by the age of six, and going into education, then into the mission field for 22 years, and then hearing there's a warrant out for my arrest. 35 counts against me, 
just because I went to do the Christian thing, which is help a dying aunt. Well, I got legal, legal help along the way. I met with lawyers and learned a lot of things as far as legal factors. The saddest part was the fact that those factors didn't really help me. I found out that the proper paperwork was not filed. I should have gotten a second opinion. All things I was unaware of, just as a helpful Christian trying to help family. I ended up finding my hands behind my back in handcuffs as I was led from a courtroom and I met with a judge. With tears in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, well, I know you're innocent. You know you're innocent. But the world is going to treat you like you're guilty. Because now I'm a convicted felon. That meant I was led away to a correctional facility in the state of Oregon and was to spend time serving time for something I didn't even do. As I got there, I remember walking into that prison, walking into that place and thinking, um, God, I have two prayers for you. One is, I don't want even a root of bitterness to begin to grow. And two, I want to use this time for your glory and the work in your kingdom, so make it worthwhile. He answered both those prayers. I believe that's called grace. I spent time there learning a new language, learning new culture, learning new kinds of recipes, all kinds of the things I would do in any new mission field. God had just shifted me and placed me behind bars. I met a lot of people that I would have never met before. I worked with a group of society that I hadn't even seen before, and I began to hear their stories. Went through a lot of experiences. I lost my father during that time. Couldn't go home to attend the funeral, but it was the most incredible week of that time there because I was able to talk to people about death. Their number one fear is death, and why would I have hope in the face of death? It was an exciting time. I walked 3,000 miles in one pair of tennis shoes, just circling the yard outside where it was a safe place to begin to share my faith and talk with women. It was exciting to become a tutor and help women get their GED, help women advance their education. And it was a great place for them to begin to hear what is a Christian really like and who is this Jesus? God gave me wonderful opportunities. I call that grace by taking a situation that I didn't look for, I didn't plan on, and yes, I could have complained it was unfair, but instead, it was an amazing opportunity to watch not only God restore a situation that was unplanned, but watch him restore lives. He restored something in me, too. I had been one of those Sunday school kids growing up all my life, knowing about God's grace, but this time I saw it in action. This time I watched God's grace at work in my life as well as the lives of others, and I saw it firsthand. I was excited because before I even left that place, my home church in Moses Lake had extended to me an invitation to be on staff as one of their pastors. I took that spot. That was grace. I found that I could come home and become involved in my local community with people that had tats, people that led different lifestyles, kids that I'm working with after school whose parent is in prison or in jail. All kinds of opportunities have opened to, again, restore a situation that I hadn't planned on, that I didn't really enjoy, but God brought joy out of it because of his grace. 
I'm challenging you a little bit because maybe you're not behind physical bars, but some form of bitterness, some form of unfair situation, some form of prison in your life has maybe kept you from understanding that God can restore through grace. God gives us an opportunity to use his grace extended to others from our experiences. There's just something about that grace factor. I think it's amazing. So if you caught her prayer, um, she said, when I, uh, when I was walked into a cell in handcuffs, I prayed for two things. She said, not to escape, not even to survive, but I asked God to not let even a tiny root of bitterness to grow in my heart and to use this experience, God, for your glory and your kingdom. And as I was just emailing her about it this week, she wrote, I'm so glad God answered that prayer. I still have legal issues as a felon to this day, but it hasn't stopped God or me. And I can honestly say there is no bitterness about it. That is certainly not me, but absolutely God, she says. And what my friend knew after 22 years in the mission field overseas and a long life of walking with Jesus as she was entering prison is that holding on to bitterness and allowing that to just steep and to grow any kind of root is potently dangerous. It gives the devil a foothold in your life. And we also know the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We see that in 1 Peter 5.8. He's looking for those opportunities when we let bitterness take hold in our life. And it gives the enemy a place to sow seeds of doubt, of hate, of anger, pride, and so much more. And it doesn't really leave room for God to display his glory and advance his kingdom. You heard her say, I could have complained it was unfair, but instead it was an amazing opportunity to watch not only God restore a situation that was unplanned, but restore lives. And I remember from the first time I heard this story, and then I've gotten to know Kathy, it still just kind of blows me away. But um, I also wanted to think about her, her story too, because unlike maybe Joseph, it was like maybe God's grand plan that he was going to save the nation from famine. I don't think it was in, in God's plan that Kathy would necessarily get thrown into jail, but he was able to use that and restore that and redeem that because she was choosing to let go of that bitterness and looking for God to use that for his glory. Because she chose to forgive the lawyer who made a monumental mistake with her paperwork that put her behind bars, she was able to lead women to Jesus. And she said she even was able to baptize them in the yard at the prison. Kathy has a deep understanding that God is in control. And that allows her to live from a place of forgiveness. Not that this was God's plan to send her to prison, but he could restore and he could use the situation for his glory. That's what she realized. And so that's what she prayed. That was her prayer going in. And the only reason I hesitated to use this story is that I can perhaps feel a little bit unrelatable, right? Like I don't know anyone else that's been through this exact same situation, except maybe Joseph, wrongfully thrown to in prison, right? Um, but just like Kathy mentioned, like probably... Well, none of us are. Physically, we are in this room. We are not behind physical bars. Um, but some form of bitterness or some form of unfair situation, like she was saying, has maybe kept you from understanding that God can restore, that he can help you release that bitterness and extend forgiveness. That forgiveness is an option, but it's also the best option. 
We can let go of the bitterness that we're clinging to, that we're holding on to, and offer it up to Jesus and allow him to bring restoration. As a result of Joseph extending forgiveness to his brothers, they were able to live in restored relationship as a family when God brought them to Egypt. And also our our viewer perception of God does affect our ability to forgive. So when we can't trust that God has our back or God really is the ultimate judge, we're more likely to feel bitter towards people who have wronged us, right? Like we need to make them sorry for how they hurt us. (laughs) And what Joseph realized was he wasn't in the place of God. That was not his job. The only God is sovereign. And I I do hope you feel encouraged this morning that you can trust that God is in control. He's with you in your darkest days. He knows every season and situation. We can trust him when people let us down. All these lessons we've talked about from the life of Joseph over this summer. We can trust that in all things he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And When we can trust God in these things and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we're able to give God our hurt, to give him our bitterness, and to work towards choosing forgiveness. Because God wants to restore what has been taken as we've allowed bitterness to grow, maybe over months, maybe over years, maybe even for some of us a lifetime. And when the Holy Spirit points out that I'm holding on to some bitterness or that I'm needing to forgive, I really have to choose to trust that God can work in me to forgive because sometimes it feels hard. (laughs) I'm sure you can relate. And if it feels too overwhelming or I feel justified in my own position, story of Joseph is a good reminder that forgiveness is always possible and it's always the best choice. And um, like, like Troy was talking about this morning with communion, we also need to remember we are forgiven And that is why we can forgive. It's because we've been forgiven. The way of Jesus is forgiveness. And we we took communion this morning, reminding us as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, we remind what his death actually meant for us is Jesus took on our sin and forgave us. I mean, we see in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this is the way of Jesus. He extends forgiveness to us, and we can extend it to others. Then we have been forgiven of so much, we can forgive the the little that, that we have been offended by. And then the beauty of that is that when we choose to let go of that bitterness and forgive people instead... Maybe when the cultural expectation is to hold a grudge or you you deserve to be right. Like, yeah, you totally are right in that. I'm going to call and vent to my friends so they can tell me, yeah, you deserve to be super upset about that. Um, Not that there's nothing wrong with venting. But when we get that out, we can maybe realize, okay, that's out. I'm not going to let this grow root of bitterness. I'm going to offer this to God and extend forgiveness. And when we do that, We get to display Jesus when we forgive. So the beauty of that is we we actually do get to display Jesus when we forgive, since that is the way of Jesus. So if we're doing that in our family, we're doing that in our community, we're doing that in our workplace, that means we are showing Jesus wherever we go when we make that choice to forgive. We really become a witness to the goodness and to the grace of God when we trust in God and allow him to work in us to offer that forgiveness. 
So I hope it's a continued encouragement in our year-long sermon series, Do I Trust God? That when we trust that God is in control, forgiveness is possible, no matter how hard it may feel. Um, So as we close, I'm going to invite you to stand and pray as we wrap up this morning. And let's talk to Jesus about maybe some of those things we're holding on in our heart to this morning that we can give to him. Jesus, we are grateful that you understand that it can be really hard to forgive, that you were hurt, that you were wronged, you were betrayed, and you know where each one of us is at this morning. And we're asking your Holy Spirit to help us let go of any bitterness that we're holding on to, and even for help just identifying that this morning. If there is something there that we maybe aren't even aware of, it's just become such a part of us. It's just something that we've done so well for so long that you would just help reveal with your spirit what, if any roots are really, have been forming and growing in us this morning. And we thank you for the forgiveness that you extend to us that allows us to offer that forgiveness, to turn around and and hand that out as well. Lord, we may continue to grow in our trust that you're in control and that we can rest in that, and that will allow us to forgive. And I pray that as we choose to forgive those in our family and at our workplace, that you would be seen clearly. Jesus, that you would be lifted high as a result of our trust in you and following your ways, Jesus. That our choice to not hold on to bitterness will be a witness to your goodness. Lord, and for the work that you're doing in each one of us, and maybe some of us specifically this morning that are really recognizing some of these things that we need to release and give to you. We just pray for just an extra dose of your grace for those of us this morning that might be dealing with something something a little bit heavier that we need to bring to you, Lord, that needs to be a choice every hour, every minute, every day, every morning, every night, whenever you bring those things to our mind, Lord, I pray that you would help remind us that it is the best way to choose to give that to you in forgiveness and that we would let go of these things that we might be holding on tightly to. Lord, we thank you for your, your hope of restoration, that we know you can use these situations for your glory even when you didn't intend them to happen in the first place, Lord. We pray for restoration in any situation that anyone in this room or watching on the live stream or later is praying right now and offering up to you. We do pray in Jesus' name that you would be restoring and healing in those places where forgiveness needs to be offered. Lord, that you would make right what needs to be made right. We trust that you are in control, Jesus. We hand this over to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being this morning, being here this morning. And always remember, Jesus loves you. And so do Pastor Mark and Kate. Have a great week.